Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you this week from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Compassion International paid Hillsong a million dollars a year to sponsor its concert tour. We'll have details. Have you ever wondered why all the songs on Christian radio sound the same? Well, there's a reason for that, and that reason is money. We'll explain. We begin today with the resignation of the chairman of the board of Bob Jones University. Last week, we reported on the podcast about the showdown between the chairman of Bob Jones University, John Lewis, and the president, Steve Pettit. In fact, last week, we reported that Steve Pettit had resigned as president, saying he could no longer work with the chairman. But a lot can happen in a week, and we've had a reversal of fortune. Now it's John Lewis, the chairman, who has resigned following pressure from the school's students, from alumni, and from donors. In an April 6th letter, John Lewis said that he would step down from his position as chairman of the board immediately. The decision is a surprise to many BJU watchers, since Lewis appeared to have the upper hand in a conflict between himself and BJU President Steve Pettit. Randy Page, the university's chief of staff, told the Post and Courier newspaper it was unclear how Lewis's departure would impact Pettit's decision to resign. In a statement released April 6th, Pettit said he wished Lewis well after learning of his decision to resign from the board. He did say that, and I have worked with Randy Page for years and think he's a pretty straight shooter, but a lot of people think this means Pettit will, in fact, stay at Bob Jones University. It's important to realize that this conflict actually goes back a couple of years, but it came to a head in the past month. Pettit had signed a contract to renew his term as president for another three years last fall, so he did have the support of most of the board. But Lewis said that Pettit was taking the school away from its fundamentalist roots and mounted what some had called a coup against Pettit. Pettit's resignation was conditional. He said that he would resign as president if Lewis did not resign as chairman. So it certainly looks to me that Pettit will stay and Lewis will go. A 42-page whistleblower report detailing Hillsong Church's egregious spending accused the church of not promoting the child sponsorship charity Compassion International out of goodness of their heart, but in exchange for $1 million a year. In what they said was the most disgusting aspect of the 42-page whistleblower report, the whistleblower said that Hillsong charges Compassion a million dollars a year for the privilege of being their child sponsorship partner. Compassion claims to have worked with Hillsong for more than 20 years. A written agreement between Hillsong and Compassion in 2017 outlines a strategic ministry alliance entitling Compassion to be Hillsong's only child sponsorship ministry partner in exchange for the million dollars. The arrangement promises Compassion representation at all global color and Hillsong conferences and an annual Compassion Sunday at all Hillsong church campuses worldwide. 
Per the contract, Compassion also receives advertising and exposure on the Hillsong channel, a YouTube channel that has more than 82,000 followers. Hillsong pays for airtime and content consulting, while Compassion pays to develop its content and provide it to the channel. Any additional advertising for the channel is Compassion's responsibility to pay for, it says. Compassion defends this agreement. Yeah, it did. And I should say that such arrangements are, in fact, common in Christian music. Compassion International told Ministry Watch that advertising alone doesn't reach Christians. And these upfront investments in concert tours are some of the most effective, financially efficient ways that they have to connect Christian audiences to impoverished children. But this new report has gotten a lot of attention. It certainly has. The whistleblower report, uh, which is based on court documents that were leaked uh, to the public, highlights concerns about how Hillsong stewards its donation funds. In addition to lavish spending, Hillsong faces tax fraud and money laundering claims. Its former pastor, Brian Houston, is embattled in a lawsuit for allegedly covering up his father's sexual abuse and for a recent DUI. The document reveals how Hillsong leadership exploited church funds for lavish vacations, honorariums, gifts, and salaries paid with tithe money. The contract terms were from July of 2017 to June of 2020, a three-year period, to renew in incremental one-year terms at that same payment rate, a million dollars, and schedule in perpetuity unless either party requests a dissolution. Compassion, though, says that the contract ran out in 2020 and there are no current contractual agreements between Compassion International and Hillsong. Well, speaking of Hillsong, we have an article on the website this week about Carl Lenz and his sudden restoration to ministry. We do. You remember that Carl Lentz was one of the pastors of Hillsong here in the United States. He led the New York congregation. That article is by Caitlin Beatty, and it's called It's Unloving to Quickly Restore Fallen Pastors on Carl Lentz's Predictable and Tragic Return to Church Ministry. I strongly recommend this uh, piece to our listeners, and you can find it on the front page of the Ministry Watch website. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return a landmark settlement in a church shooting case, I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next, the story we promised before the break, it's the story of a $144.5 million settlement to be paid by the government to the families of victims in a church shooting in Sutherland, Texas. The United States Department of Justice has reached an agreement in principle to provide financial compensation to the families of 26 victims in a tragic mass shooting at First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, which happened back in 2017. The agreement would settle all claims for that number that you mentioned, Natasha, $144.5 million. Originally, plaintiffs were asking for more than $400 million, while the Justice Department's first offer was only about $32 million. A court must approve some aspects of the settlement before it's final. In November 2017, Devin Patrick Kelly opened fire during a Sunday worship service at the Small Baptist Church in Texas. He killed over two dozen people, including eight children. Kelly was chased and shot by men who heard the gunshots at the church. He died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The more than 75 plaintiffs alleged that the U.S. Air Force could have prevented the shooter from purchasing the firearms that he used during the attack, claiming that the Air Force was negligent in failing to transmit information about his assault conviction to the National Instant Criminal Background Check System. And in July of 2021, a federal judge in San Antonio ruled that the Air Force was at least 60% liable for the attack. A new study found that Bethel and a handful of other megachurches have cornered the market on worship music in recent years, churning out hit after hit and dominating the worship charts. The study looked at 38 songs that made the top 25 list of CCLI, which is the Christian Copyright Licensing Incorporated Organization, and Praise Charts, which tracks what songs are being played in churches, and found that almost all had originated from one of four megachurches. All the songs in the study, which range from Our God and God is Able to The Blessing, debuted on the charts between 2010 and 2020. Of the songs in the study, 36 had ties to a group of four churches, Bethel, Hillsong, Passion City Church, which is based in Atlanta, and also Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you've ever felt like most worship music sounds the same, the study's authors wrote, it may be because the worship music you are most likely to hear in many churches is written by just a handful of songwriters from a handful of churches. The research team, made up of two worship leaders and three academics who study worship music, made some initial findings public Tuesday, April 11th. Elias Dummer, who is a worship leader and recording artist, said that he and his colleagues had been watching changes in worship music over the past decade. They wanted to know how worship songs become popular in churches. They also wanted to know how the business of producing and marketing songs is shaping the worship life of local churches. Elias Dummer said that many worship leaders believe that the 
best songs become the most popular songs, but his research suggests that they are the songs, in fact, that just get promoted heavily by these large and wealthy churches. When a church gets behind a song, it can make millions of dollars in royalties, and even though there are hundreds of thousands of churches in America, the 2020 Faith Communities Today survey found that about 70% of worshipers in the United States attend the largest churches, the top 10 largest churches in the country. Well, big churches might have the financial clout, but our next story suggests that small can be beautiful. Sure does. More Protestant church congregations close than open each year in America, according to Lifeway Research in a 2019 study. About 4,500 churches have closed their doors, while only about 3,000 churches were started in a given year. As they face closure, some churches are turning to a strategy that they discovered in a 2018 book called Dying to Restart by Greg Weens and Dan Turner. And it's a book about not just surviving, but thriving as a small church. The Westside Church of God in Wichita, Kansas, decided to adopt the strategies in the book. On March the 12th, the congregation gathered for its final service. Its attendance had dropped to just 45 people, about one-third of the number that it had in the early 2000s, according to Pastor Forrest Cornwell. According to Faith Communities Today and their 2020 study that I just cited, half of all churches in the country have less than 65 people worshiping on a given Sunday morning. Cornwall recognized that Westside Church of God was indeed facing closure of the kind that we just talked about. He said that if we keep going like we're going as a church, we're going to die. That might drag on for five or 10 years, but we weren't accomplishing anything the way we were going. Instead, the church's board uh, relinquished control and will be replaced by pastors and leaders of other churches that are growing. They have agreed to sit on Westside's board for two to three years and help them succeed in relaunching. Westside will close for several months and then reopen with a new name and an operational makeover. And during those months, the members will attend weekly workshops to learn about changes that they need to make in their small church to grow. The church building will be fixed, painted, and a new sound system will be installed. Now, how other churches tried this approach? And if so, how has it worked? Well, 11 churches have followed the relaunch strategy in the book, Dying to Restart, at least that we know about. Co-author Dan Turner said that they've been successful with an average growth of about three and a half times uh, what it was prior to closing. So while it's too early to tell what will happen with Westside in Wichita, I thought that this might be a good case study. So here at Ministry Watch, we plan to check back with Westside every few months and provide progress reports. By the way, there's a whole lot more to this story, and I think people that care about the vitality of small churches should really check it out. I recommend Kim Roberts' excellent article. Again, you can find it on the front page of the Ministry Watch website. Our next story involves criminal charges against the former co-leader of the student ministry at Redeemer Church in Modesto, California. He's been charged with molesting a member of his family. 
Michael Sasser is 40 years old, and he turned himself into authorities on March 23rd after a family member of the victim reported the alleged crimes to police earlier in March. Sasser had been, uh, has been charged with three counts of sexually abusing a child, including continual sexual abuse of a child 14 years of age or younger, that according to the Modesto B newspaper. Now, Redeemer Church is an evangelical congregation affiliated with the Acts 29 network, which is a well-known church planting network uh, headquartered in Dallas and led by Dallas megachurch pastor Matt Chandler. Sasser pleaded not guilty to the charges on March 27th and remains in custody with bail set at $800,000. His most recent court date was April 10th. Sasser, who was also a church elder, stepped down from his role at Redeemer a month before his arrest, citing personal reasons, according to lead pastor Patrick Nagel. And we also have a story of embezzlement out of Minnesota. A Minnesota court has charged two sisters, one of whom is the church's bookkeeper, with embezzling about $100,000 over a five-year period. Kenda Yoye County District Court accused Deborah K. Humberg of allegedly embezzling funds from Sunberg Free Lutheran Church and also from Norway Lake Township. In addition, court records show that her sister, Annette Marie Dingman, was also involved in the theft of more than $18,000 of stolen funds. Hamburg is the treasurer of the township and bookkeeper for Sunberg Free Lutheran. Hamburg said that her church services were unpaid and the township uh, paid her about $300 a month and $50 per meeting for her service as the township treasurer. The investigation began last February after church representatives contacted the Kandoyoye County Sheriff's Department regarding the financial irregularity. Soon afterwards, authorities approached the township, which had just started to suspect Hamburg of embezzling funds there as well. Authorities charged uh, Hamburg with 19 counts of felony theft and theft by deception for misappropriating about $100,000. By the way, if you listen to our Ministry Watch Extra episode, you can hear tips about how your church can avoid this kind of embezzlement, and I recommend it to you. I should add in closing on this story that officials charged Dingman with 10 similar felony counts plus two misdemeanor theft charges. Warren, we're going to take another break. When we return, our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, I have a story that I think will be of interest to a lot of ministry leaders who use direct mail in their fundraising efforts. Inflation rates, along with a drop in U.S. mail volume, are causing a boost in the postal rate case, according to a memo from the Alliance of Nonprofit Mailers. U.S. Postal Service officials filed its case for a postal rate increase with the Postal Regulatory Commission on Monday of this week. The base increases are expected to include about a 5.4% increase for first-class mail and marketing mail, formerly known as standard mail letters, a 7.4% increase for marketing mail flats and carrier route flats, that's sometimes what we call bulk mail, and 8.1% increase for periodicals. These are averages for the various categories as the Postal Service has a myriad of sub-rates within each rate. Given the 90-day notice requirements for new rates, that means that we can expect these rates to increase around July the 9th. Ministry Watch has released its annual list of ministries that get an F transparency grade. We have, and there are about 20 ministries on that list this year out of the 1,000 in the Ministry Watch 1000 database. Todd Bentley's Fresh Fire Ministries is on the list. So is Benny Hinn, Rod Parsley, and Creflo Dollar. Now, of course, our recommendation here at Ministry Watch is to not give money to any ministry that doesn't release its financial statements to the public, which is what has earned these ministries an F transparency grade. And, of course, we think that includes all 20 on this year's list. And while we're on the subject of financial fraud and financial transparency, it's worth mentioning your conversation with Matt Branagh. Yeah, I did mention it briefly, but I just want to say a little bit more about it. Matt covers nonprofit tax and legal matters for Christianity Today, and he and his team released a study that suggests as many as a third of churches have experienced some form of financial fraud over the last 10 years. This week's episode, extra episode of the podcast, helps identify warning signs and, more importantly, things that church leaders can do to prevent fraud in their church. Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a quick shout out to the good folks here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I've been this week. I'm attending the Evangelical Press Association's annual convention. I had the opportunity to speak here a couple of times this week, and it was a real blessing to be able to do so. And while I'm here in uh, Lancaster, I had a chance to meet with supporters of Ministry Watch who are living in the area. This was an encouraging time for me, and we had a great visit. And I mentioned it in part just to remind everybody that I'll be in Orlando, Florida in May and in Southern California, the Orange County area in June, and I'll be doing similar events then. So if you live in these areas, check your inbox for dates, times, and places for these kinds of events in your community as well. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sabbath. Writers who contributed to today's program include Kim Roberts, Jessica Adderalde, Anne Stike, Caitlin Beatty, Bob Smetanya, Richard Levy, Rod Pitzer, and you, Warren. And special thanks to the Nonprofit Times and Caitlin Beatty with The Beatty Beat for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.